Welcome back to Rue Career Radio, the podcast where we talk all things career. My name is Allison Murdoch. And I'm Tess Surpranat. And we are your hosts for Rue Career Radio. Right now, we are amid prime application season for a lot of graduate and professional programs. So during this episode, we brought our UMKC Career Services Career Counselor, Daniel Folk, back to walk us through what to think about when preparing and applying for programs. Before we go to Daniel, I just want to put a reminder out there, some of our housekeeping stuff. Career services at UMKC continues to be largely virtual, and we look forward to interacting with you via Zoom and all of that. And that's probably going to stay for well into next spring semester. For a list of all of our events hosted by our office and many of the reputable employers, please check out Handshake. And I really want to put in a plug for some of those employer events. They have info sessions and and uh, web sessions talking about careers and internships. And I really highly recommend you take a look at those. Some great companies. So just like our fall events, our spring career fair will be virtual and conducted completely through Handshake. So make sure you get yourself prepared by attending one of our Navigating a Virtual Career Fair info session. And as a reminder, alumni still have full access to our services. Feel free to reach out via email anytime at careerservices at umkc.edu if you have any questions. All right, let's segue on into our topic for the episode. Firstly, I want to thank you, Daniel, for coming back on our little show. We appreciate your presence, and we know our listeners always appreciate your advice. So to start off this conversation, Daniel, what initial advice do you have for students that are considering applying to graduate and professional schools, and and what should they think about when making this decision? This is a really big question, and I'm going to, I think I can keep it to two main topics. And the first one I'm going to start off with is start early, way earlier than you would ever think to. This is a time-consuming process. Every little step of this process takes time. So whether it is deciding on the schools you want to go to, creating that personal statement, For example, I always recommend that students take three months to make up that personal statement Um, within the medical school. They always recommend six months. So this takes time getting that CV in order. If you need any testing, this takes time. So start early. And then the second topic is start now thinking about why are you applying? Why do you want to be in this program? Why do you want to be in this field? So many students think about this entirely too late, and that can influence where you want to go to school. That can influence what you put in that personal statement. It influences so much that I want you to start thinking about it now. Why are you applying? You're always going to get this question, either whenever you do get an interview for the school or even from your friends, your family, you're going to get asked, why do you want to be in medical school? Why do you want to be in a PhD program in psychology? you're going to get asked, so have an answer for this. It also helps you think about why should you be admitted to these and what makes you a really good competitive candidate. Your understanding of the field and your commitment to the field is really what's going to take you to that next level. So start early and start thinking about why you're the best candidate. 
I kind of want to add something into that as well. Is it safe to say that students should also think about whether or not they really need a higher level degree for their profession before they, you know, start within the industry that they're looking at? That's one of the first topics that I always bring up with students who say, I want to go into this professional school or I want to go into this program is, do you need it? And if they have a really good answer for that, that's fantastic. Let's continue on. And how do you get in there? But if they haven't thought about that, maybe they've only ever known that I need an advanced degree. I need a doctoral degree or a master's degree, but maybe they don't. Maybe that's just extra schooling that's going to get them overqualified for the position they really want, whereas they would go further in debt, take up more time, or they could just go straight into that career from their undergraduate and be making money that whole time, not going into debt and be able to start climbing the ladder there. I think that's a really good thing to be thinking about is whether you actually need the degree or not. Another thing, though, I think that sometimes students uh, forget to think about or put as much weight on is that not all graduate programs are the same. So a graduate program in psychology at one school might have more of a clinical psychology sort of focus to it, whereas a psychology program at another school might have a different focus. And so it's also important to really understand before you start applying, does this school have the right program for the specific field of study that I want to go into? And and you can find that out largely by what are their faculty members studying? And they usually have somewhere on their website the, the type of research that they're involved in. And so if those faculty members have that level of expertise, then that and it syncs with what you're interested in, then maybe it's a really good program. But this is something that programs look at when they're interviewing you and evaluating your application. Because if you say, I really want to get into your program because I want to study X, Y, Z, but their area of emphasis is more ABC, then they're thinking you're not a good fit for us. And so it's important to do a little bit of that really detailed research into the programs also. You can also find the exact courses that you would be taking a lot of times on their website. So you can really understand what exactly you'll be learning in that program, um, aside from just the key areas or key ideas. Yeah, and it seems like maybe it's a lot of work to go into. And, you know, it is a little time consuming and and it is a little bit of work, but this is going to be a big investment. So best to make sure that you're making the best decision for you. And Allison, to build on what you had just said in doing that research, you can also research where those students are going post-graduation too. You can utilize LinkedIn to see where alumni from the school that you want to be in, from the program that you want to be in, where are they working post-graduation? And is it in the areas that you want to be in? This can really influence that decision on which school, which program, and what you want to focus on in your education. Another interesting thing that I find, you know, I work over in the Block Career Center, is that a lot of times we'll see undergrads wanting to go directly into an MBA program. And and sometimes it's better for those undergraduate business students to actually get a couple years of work experience before they apply for a graduate school MBA program. And that can really improve your chances of getting into the program, but it also can make big difference in in how much you get out of it, how interesting the program is to you, and also how much more money you make when you finish the program than if you go straight through. If you go straight through, it's sort of a uber undergraduate degree and you don't get a whole lot of pay differential. 
But if you wait a couple of years, get some experience and then do the MBA, there can be a really nice leap forward in terms of, of salary. Absolutely. And when you're in the graduate school, I mean, I have experience working full-time and going to graduate school. And and during that, I was really able to make um, a lot of meaningful connections between what I'm learning in the classroom and and what I'm doing in in the profession and the workforce. Um, and that's the same thing if you're working prior to going for your NBA, you can make a lot more connections and understand topics a little deeper because of that experience. Mm-hmm. And you could also tailor your education as well. So Mm -hmm. if you know exactly what you want to do, you know the area you want to be in, the type of research or whatever that might be, you can tailor your internships in graduate school or your the classes. There's a lot more customizing within graduate school than a lot of people think. They just go into advising and get their courses and roll on so that way they can get their degree. But if you intentionally go after, go toward a target, you can really find some classes, some alternative classes that are going to build that qualification really well. You know, you know, it sounds like when students are applying for graduate and professional schools, it, it can be stressful and time consuming. And, and I imagine it can be pretty confusing as they've probably got multiple applications going and there are different requirements for different programs. So what are some tips that you have that students can use to better organize themselves and avoid that sort of stress and mental breakdown that goes along with trying to juggle all of this? Yeah, it is a lot. And what I, where I see people, I think, fall short or get overwhelmed the quickest is when they look at it all as a whole. They look at that due date and then they see everything that's required and it's overwhelming. It's too much, especially since you're likely going to be applying to multiple schools. And I'm talking, if you're making a big jump, this could be 10 to 15 schools. And that's a lot of different documentation, a lot of edits, a lot of all kinds of things to have running through your mind at one time. So I highly recommend create an Excel document. I want every school that you want to apply to in one column. I want all the due dates in another column. I want what they expect, how they expect to receive them. For example, um, each school may want their letter letter of recommendations to be sent in in a different way. So you need to let your letter writers know each one of those different ways. If they want you to, if they want your letter writers to mail in those letters, you should probably fill out that envelope, put that address on there of that school, put a stamp on there, so that way your letter writer has an easy process to just send that off and they know what those due dates are. It helps you to organize everything throughout this process to know what applications materials need to be sent in, how to edit those and when to make sure that you get those in. Well, and you know, I like that you mentioned about the references. I've actually served as a reference for a number of students trying to get into graduate school and it can be really confusing. I've been a reference multiple times for a few students and you know, so one application they send me is an all electronic, just answer a few questions online and really not even much of a letter. And then other ones are upload a formal letter on letterhead. And it, it is always nice to have as much information as a reference as possible so that I can do a good job. The other thing I, I think is a good idea that students do, and I, I say this as the person writing the reference letter. When you ask me to be a reference for you, let me know what you want me to say. (laughs) It makes it so much easier. I really do want to help. 
But if I don't know the specifics of what the program is looking for, then I don't know how I should be tailoring it to that program. Uh, so if you say you, you know, you really want me to highlight your analytical skills or your leadership or then I can think of the right examples to include. But otherwise, I, you know, maybe I'm going to go off on a completely different tangent in the letter. So make it easy for the letter writer. Right. Yeah. I want to start with that last point. A lot of your letter writers know ahead of time that they're probably going to ask for your personal statement and your CV, uh, maybe even your transcript. So they know how well you did, how well you achieved as a student. Also, exactly as Tess mentioned, add in what specifically you want them to talk about. If you did undergraduate research with them and you want them to focus on that undergraduate research or your research or leadership ability, add that in. Ultimately, you are trying to decide on someone to write you a letter of recommendation based on how well they know you. I tend to ask my references or letter writers also knowing the difference between those two. If they're asking for a reference, that's very different from a letter of recommendation. So make sure that you distinguish which ones those are because it may be very different and the expectations are different and your letter writer or your reference needs to know that. Can we ask what the difference is while you're talking about it? For sure. Excellent. Uh, so a reference is typically either they fill out a form or it's a phone call. Uh, so a reference is really just they have some specific questions that they want answered. The school, the program, whatever that is. Um, a letter of recommendation is exactly what it sounds like. It is a letter of them talking about your accolades, your qualifications, why this school should pick you, and why that person in particular would re recommend you for this program. So they're very different. And one is much more time consuming for a letter writer than it is for a reference. So make sure that you put in that front work so that way they are ready for it. But ultimately, I ask, could you write me a good letter of recommendation? This gives your letter writer an opportunity to say, you know, I don't feel like I know you that well. Maybe we could have a conversation or maybe you could send me some additional documents, but it gives them the opportunity to ask more questions or maybe to flat out say no, but they're doing it with good intentions. They want you to have the best opportunity possible. So they may say no, but they may also help you brainstorm who's going to be a better one. What faculty member do you know better? It is really hard to write those letters. Let me just tell mm you. Um, because you know so much rides on the letter and and you really want to do a good job. But I have actually, back when I was in grad school, I wrote a draft of the cover letter I wanted my reference to write and, and, and told him, edit away. This is just sort of maybe help you get started, speed up the process. Because I knew he was a really busy guy. And then he hardly edited it at all. But he was very appreciative. But uh, as much assistance as you can give the letter writer to, yeah, it's a lot of work. I remember when I was trying to get references and I literally just asked, hey, can you write a reference for me? And like really gave them no information whatsoever. And it turned out well uh, for me, surprisingly. I I got the letters of recommendation and went on my merry way and got into graduate school. Um, but luckily, at least one of them already had a template that they typically give people anyways. But yeah, that's very considerate of you. 
Tess. And it's fairly common practice to for the faculty member to ask you to write a draft of it, and then mm-hmm. they will come back in and tailor it to what they're looking for. Additionally, this happened to me, and it's not going to happen to everyone, but I want you to be ready for it. Um, this is also why I created the Excel document to know when all my deadlines were. So I applied to 14 different programs, and one of my letter writers didn't fill out a single letter, didn't send in a single letter. And I didn't find that out till over halfway through past all my application deadlines. So this is why we create an Excel document. This is why you have all the deadlines. Send a follow-up a couple of days, maybe a week before that deadline comes up. Just letting you know, thank you again for writing my letter. Just wanted to bring it to the forefront that the deadline is coming up. It's just going to save you a lot of heartache mm-hmm. potentially. And this is this is cost effective too. If you think mm-hmm. about how much um, application fees are for each one of these schools, and you're applying to multiple schools, and then your application is for not just because one thing fell through. I don't want that to happen to any student. So follow up. It's going to do nothing but help. If they if they don't actually have sort of dashboard where you can go and check to see if all of your materials are in, they're very open to you reaching out to them and asking, you know, did my letters come in? Where are we at in the process? Is everything good to go? And and so you can actually know. And if it's getting close to the deadline, that's when you perhaps write that draft and send it to your letter writer saying, so just a few edits on your part and we're done. The act of following up too, especially if it's a small program, allows the the program to get to know your name and getting used to seeing that. And so they can really recognize your application and it shows you're taking initiative, you're determined, you're on top of things. And so just following up on, on the application process, I think in general, is going to be helpful in the long run as well. I think that that's one of the most interesting things that I found once I started serving on some selection committees for graduate programs is that I had always gone into it thinking that there's them and you apply to this them thing and then there's me and there's this huge abyss and there's no crossing it and I'm completely on my own here. And yet, and yet when you're in the graduate program and you're trying to select students, I want that interaction with students. I'm perfectly fine with them reaching out to me with a question. Of course, you don't want to be badgering people, but but some questions, some interaction, some feedback, that's all perfectly fine. It allows us to get to know you a little bit better. And I think most programs really are 100% fine with that, that it's more of a collaboration and because they want to know that you're the right person for the program also. And sometimes that's a little hard to tell just from an essay and, and maybe a quick interview. So a little more interaction sometimes can help determine fit. And Tess, just to build on to that, what Tess is saying is that everyone has a say. So if you're really frustrated and getting frustrated with the process and you're calling that school and your document hasn't come through and you're starting to be rude, oh. that person has a say. Know that everyone mm-hmm. has a say. I was talking with the selection committee not too long ago and the administrative assistant, this student had every qualification. They were a perfect fit. And the administrative assistant raised their hand and said, that student was extremely rude to me. That candidate didn't get in. Everyone has a say. Be kind to everyone. 
in general, be kind to everyone in general, but especially to the program you want to be in. Oh, Daniel, I cannot agree more (laughs) with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are usually relatively small departments that you're applying to. And the admin sits, you know, right, right next to the office of the, the, the department head and they talk all the time. So it's not as if actions in one area are not going to become known, um, to everybody in that department. And whew, you are so right, Daniel. Mm-hmm. I think it, I kind of compare it to being conscious of who you talk to when, let's say, you're applying to a job and you're interviewing and you're following up. And really, every communication you have with these people, they're going to analyze that. They're going to keep it in mind moving forward, and that's going to aid in their decision. It's the same thing with graduate schools. When you follow up, when you're communicating with these departments, they're going to keep that in mind. So basically, you're getting interviewed <laughs> way ahead of time you actually get an interview. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, and and it's completely valid, too. So I used to sit on the selection committee for the business graduate programs here at UMKC. And part of what we were looking for was an attitude that would get along with working in teams because you were going to be in a cohort and that you were a good communicator and that you would be employable in the end. And so, man, if you're being rude to the receptionist, then then I'm probably thinking you're probably going to have difficulties with your team. <laughs> you're probably going to have a tough time interviewing and getting a job afterwards. And and that's all factoring into my decision of whether you should get into the graduate programs. It is all a little bit mm-hmm. of a test. phrase I use pretty frequently is, and I use this on the employment side and the graduate school side in trying to find that fit, is I can teach you how to do this. I can teach you how to do this job, or I can teach you the materials. I can't teach you how to be a good person. I can't teach Mm -hmm. you how to interact with uh, your peers and be a good collaborative member of our group. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I want to switch gears a little bit. You did mention this, uh, Daniel, I don't know, a couple minutes ago. Uh, But I wanted to talk about the financial commitment of, of not only the program, which you have to keep in mind as well when making the decision. Also, good to think about the financial commitment of the applications as well, because especially as Daniel was saying, when you're applying to multiple programs, those application fees can build up quite a bit. Yeah, that's also a really big topic, but we'll start with the application process. So I've actually known students who want to have the best chance possible, so they apply to as many schools as they can. I mentioned I applied to 14 different programs, and sometimes that may require an extra student loan if you haven't been planning for this. So think about it now. Look up what those application fees are. So there's sometimes two different application fees, too. Sometimes there's a school application fee, the school as a whole, and then sometimes there's a program specific application fee. So, and those are two separate applications too, whenever you're filling out all this information. So start to look up some of those schools that you know you want to go to, that you know you want to be a part of and start tallying that up. Maybe start saving now. 
um, or think about that whenever it comes to financial aid, when you're taking student loans, um, that you could take a little bit more, but always be conscious of how much you are taking and use that money wisely. Um, this may also impact how many, maybe you can't take out that much or you can't afford that much. So strategically think about the schools that you do choose. Maybe you just go with the top five that you really want to be at or the top four as far as programs and then a fallback school. So just strategically think about this as you're applying for it, because those application fees, they build up and they build up quick. It's also a good idea to, again, network and do a little bit of research before you start applying, because you might be able to find some people either within the program, the person who's recruiting perhaps for that that graduate program um, and get a little bit more detail about what the requirements are. And sometimes there's a minimum stated requirement, but there's a different sort of, this is what we really truly expect, or this is what the competition usually dictates. And so if you're applying for a stretch school and ensure you meet their absolute minimums, but then you can start talking to some people who either went through the program or are administering the program and you hear, well, okay, that's the minimum, but really what we tend to get for candidates is this, this, and this. And then you can decide, wow, do I really have a chance before investing all of that time and all of that, that money into to applying for the program? So being sort of thoughtful and analytical about who you're going to apply to sometimes makes sense also. And Tess, I want to take what you just said and that financial consideration and think about those uh, minimum requirements as far as testing goes too. So Mm -hmm. if a school requires a GRE or an MCAT, whatever advanced testing is required, FYI, that costs per test and it costs per school you want to send that to. So that should factor into this decision. If you want to apply to 14 schools, maybe the first four um, schools, they'll send it to for free based on your uh, testing fee. But then the next however many they charge per school that you want to send that to. This should factor into that financial decision. A lot of schools are actually starting to move away from some testing. So UMKC actually just got rid of the GRE across the board. So that can play into students applying to UMKC because it's not an additional financial commitment. And that's a good chunk of money when you're talking about standardized testing for graduate and professional programs. Well, and it's also a good chunk of time to study for those tests and and take the tests. So I don't think anybody's terribly terribly unhappy that that so many schools Mm -hmm. are moving away from that. And schools are finding that a test score is not necessarily a good indication of how well you will do within that program, which is why mm-hmm. we're so many of our schools are moving away from it. Continuing with, with our thought process of what you need to think about when you're choosing schools and preparing for that, accreditation is a big piece of that as well. Um, and choosing the right school for you and choosing an accredited school for that type of program and for your profession. Daniel... Can you speak to to accreditation? What should they be looking for? I think you should always go to an accredited school. And you should also, there's a lot of accreditation bodies out there too. And there are four different things. So think about the potential licensure that you need post-graduation if you need to be certified or licensed to be able to work and function within your field. 
look at that accreditation body that works with that licensure and make sure that that school actually qualifies for that. I've had classmates while I was in school that got into their dream college because they were able to study what they wanted because it had that niche area, but they found out that that wasn't an accredited school and they would never be licensed to be able to do what they actually wanted to, even though they could study what they wanted. So this can really throw a wrench in your entire plan and your entire system. What I would recommend is look at your professional organizations within your field. A lot of times they will actually have schools uh, or lists of schools with accreditation that will get you where you want to be. And they'll have them listed on their website. For example, the APA, American Psychological Association, has a breakdown of every university in the United States that is APA accredited that will get you licensed and where you need to be. They also, test to your point earlier, they have those requirements. What's the average GRE score? Uh, what's the average cost of tuition? What is some of the specialty areas that are coming out of this field? So look at your professional organizations and the accreditation bodies themselves for those answers and to get into the best program that's going to get you where you need to be. Yeah, Daniel, I think accreditation is an important thing. And and your point that there are multiple accrediting bodies and they're not all created equal. So I know, and we talk about it all the time and we're very proud of it. Uh, <laughs> the Henry W. Block School of Management has AACSB accreditation, which is the highest level of accreditation. And so really what you want to make sure is that A, it's the accreditation that, that any licensing would need. But in general, go for a school that has the highest level of accreditation. It's going to open more doors for you going forward. I know that there are Fortune 500 companies and elite companies that won't hire students, especially MBA students who are coming out of unaccredited schools. And so you may think that all MBAs are created equal, but those employers don't. So, so it can make a big difference. And to build on that, uh, cause that was a great point. Also thinking about that, that licensure transferring to different states. If you're in a state where those requirements are actually kind of minimal compared to other states, for example, Missouri may have lower standards, overall standards compared to California. Uh, compared different to standards, New York City. not lower standard standards, Daniel. <laughs> different standards. Um, <laughs> the reason I say lower is because maybe it requires uh, less credit hours to get licensed in one state over another state. So look at programs that are have that highest level of accreditation because they're dictating how much education that that school needs to provide you to be able to be licensed wherever you want to go. Let's switch gears. Um, we're no longer necessarily going to focus on what to consider when choosing programs, but we're going to focus more on um, what to consider for each program when you're building your application. There are many different types of, of documents that you can provide um, depending on the requirements for each program. So, Daniel, can you talk a little bit about what documentation you would need to think about aside from references or letters of recommendation? So there's your CV guaranteed. Uh, there may be a CV or a resume required, but also there's a variety of different uh, personal statements or 
uh, statement of purpose, which is actually different. It's using the same words, but it's different between a personal statement and a statement of purpose. There's also research statements, letters of intent, diversity statements, and then there's also supplemental essays. And these can be for each school and very school specific. What are they focused on? What's important to them? So really take some time on each of these, know what should be in it and tailor it for each of those schools, each of those programs that you want to get into. What is the difference between a personal statement, statement of purpose and a research statement? So it's really what you focus on. So a personal statement, I think of this, it it has the word personal in there. So it's me. It's my background. It's why I'm a good fit. Maybe even what, well, definitely what led me to where I am now, how I got to this point and why I'm going to be successful here. And even what that's potentially going to lead me into next. Statement of purpose is actually only that last part. It is what do I want to accomplish here? Why am I going to be the best fit for this program? And probably a little bit about how I prepared to be a good fit for this program, kind of backing up that statement of why I'm going to be the best candidate, why you should select me. Now, that letter of intent, that's very similar to this. It is why I want to be here, why I'm going to be good. The research statement, now that one's different. Now we're talking about something completely different. I want to know what you want to research. I want to know what you have researched. I want to know that background, maybe some of that training that you have in your writing intensive course. What has prepared you to go to a very research specific school? So all of these are really hitting on different things and different nuances. So make sure that you're hitting on what they want to see. Now, if you supplement a personal statement for a letter of intent, that's going to be obvious and you're not meeting what they're looking for. And it's probably going to be a lot longer. Uh, that personal statement is going to be probably twice as much as what they're actually looking for in a letter of intent or a statement of purpose. I think a lot of students may possibly struggle with the diversity statement and what exactly that entails. What does that mean? What should they be thinking about uh, when, when attempting that? Yeah, the diversity statement is really a soul searching opportunity. And that's what you should be showcasing here. How have you thought about how diversity impacts what you do on a daily basis? Uh, what you're going to do in this program, how you interact with others, how you appreciate others and what they bring to the table. And diversity is a big statement. I see a lot of people focusing in on one or two things and that's okay, but you should showcase how you know that this can translate more broadly than that. Uh, you can focus in on one or two areas because you, there's just no way that you can cover diversity in one statement diversity as a whole, there's no way. So you can feel free to focus in on a couple of areas, one or two, but always make a statement of how you use that on a daily basis or in activities, in research teams, in different programs, however that looks for you. It's a really, really big essay. It is. It may be the number one essay where I see students just break down and And that's if they have done that soul searching. If we've been exposed to it, we start to think about it. If they haven't, this can be really one dimensional and very objective versus subjective, actually in that moment feeling it. So diversity statements, I think, are difficult for a lot of people of all backgrounds, of all cultures. It can be difficult to reflect on your experiences 
and, and relate it back to a graduate school. I've had students um, who did identify as minority students mm-hmm. and they say, I am diverse. So I just say I am. And mm-hmm. they don't feel like they need to talk about the breadth of diversity or the depth of diversity, how it really is different for everyone. And just because you are diverse, you have one perspective. But if you look at it from that one lens, it's very limiting. So even if you are from a minority group or a student of color, you can still talk about diversity because diversity means so much more. covered quite a bit of stuff. I want to thank you, Daniel, for joining us, for sharing your expertise. If you would like additional advice or assistance with your graduate or professional school application and and the process, please reach out to us. Again, our email address is careerservices at umkc.edu or make an appointment with a career coach or counselor on Handshake by going to umkc.joinhandshake.com. and logging in with your SSO. And hey, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and our YouTube channel, UMKC Career Channel. We encourage you to also join our LinkedIn group created for UMKC students, alumni, and employers to connect post positions and get updated on valuable career prep info. That concludes our episode. You've been listening to Rue Career Radio, brought to you by UMKC Career Services and the Block Career Center. We'll talk next time.